Max Hall and Melbourne Football Club, you're listening to the Coaches Panel. This is Nat Fife from the Fremantle Footy Club. Trent Cochin from the Richmond Footy Club. Scott Benderbury from the Collingwood Football Club. You're listening to the Coaches Panel. Patrick Cooch from the Carlton Footy Club. It's Rory Sloan here from the Adelaide Crows. This is Tom Mitchell. You're listening to the Coaches Panel. Hey friends, you got MJ from the Coaches Panel. I hope you're well and I trust you are enjoying your 2023 edition of the 50 Most Relevant. There's less than a week to go in the top 50. We're at number six today, new Richmond Tiger, Tim Taranto. So to talk about Double T and all the potential Supercoach Dream Team and AFL fantasy outcomes, I've got fellow founder and Richmond Tiger Rids on for this episode. Hello, buddy. How are you? Hey, mate. I'm back. You're back. We always find these ways to get some very interesting names to throw your way. And and Taranto, well, for some is an absolute no-brainer. For others, he's worth a conversation. And ultimately, that's what we do with these episodes and everything throughout from us, from the coaches panel, is looking at having a conversation about players, giving you all the information you need to then make an informed outcome choice for your fantasy football side. Let's talk about this 25-year-old Tiger retaining mid-forward status for us. And last year, there were some nice scores from him. A 128 against the the Swans was his top AFL fantasy and dream team score for the year, while in Supercoach, a 121 against the Dockers. The good news is they're nothing near his career high scores. You've got to go back to 2019 for both of those, though. 156 against North Melbourne in AFL Fantasy and Dream Team, and it's a 144 in Supercoach against the Carlton Footy Club. He's got an average that he comes in for us at 95.5 in Fantasy, which means in the formats of Dream Team and Fantasy, he's going to set you back just under 850k in AFL Fantasy and just over 860,000 in Dream Team. While Supercoach, his average of 91.4 means he's priced just a touch over 500,000. And Rids, I think both Tiger fans and the fantasy footy community at large should be loving this trade. For Tiger fans, It brings this new life to the midfield and kind of any talk of falling off the cliff. He, along with Jacob Hopper, probably have helped change that narrative. A premiership's in the window for them very much still, but also for fantasy coaches where he'd been positionally volatile up at GWS. We should be able to have some confidence at Tigerland. He's going to be a centre-bounce midfielder and go big for us in 2023. Yeah, and we, we've seen what happens when Timmy Taranto is playing that role, like in 2019. In his, what was it, his second year of football, he's come out and he's gone bang. He's yeah, gone- third year of footy, he based it in 2019. But even in that t- second season, a 90 average in Dream Team and Fantasy, 88 in Supercoach, it's just incredible. He's just an absolute ball magnet when he gets in there. And like... And the thing is, he's one of those. He's one of those my favourite types, um, where he doesn't actually damage too much with the foot. Around goal, he can he can actually mm. kick the most miraculous goals you'll ever see. But I mean, he's not that absolute classic ball user by foot. But what he is though is he is a contested monster beast when he's actually playing that position properly. So. And he's got opportunity for days in that Richmond team now. Like, So, I mean, I think Hopper would have been like the discussion with Hopper a few weeks ago or whenever it was. Mm. Um, 
Richmond needed these contested guys. Like, so why would you bring in Tim Taranto not to play those roles when you've got guys like Dustin Martin, Shea Bolton, and a few Trent others Crutchin. that are yeah. absolutely they're lethal around goals. They're they're potent, you know. Yeah. So so yeah, so it becomes absolutely intriguing to me. But there's no way that Taranto's not playing midfield 99% of the time, mate. Oh, 100% not. The only reason he's going to be forward is just managing his time on ground through there. He's going to be heavy. If he's on the ground, 80% of his time on the ground is going to be spent through the midfield a little bit just to rest in the forward line, and then he's on the bench. Um, Like you said so beautifully, he's not there for any other reason other than to be the Bull through the midfield, both offensively and defensively, both tackles, contested possessions, uncontested possessions, going to get plenty of it. You talked about that 2019 season where he scored 15 AFL fantasy and dream team tons. Seven of them were over 130. So there's some ceiling when he goes in there. While in Supercoach, 13 tons across that year, an average of 107.7 in AFL fantasy and dream team. Um, multiple Big, big tons in Supercoach that same year. Um, and we haven't even talked about what he did in 2022. 16 games last year, seven tons in Fantasy and Dream Team, four of them over 120, three additional scores over 90, and a couple of scores under 80. But still, his average of 95.5, even with some positional volatility, he's still the number three forward based on averages. While Supercoach, six tons last year, um, the top score was that 121 game against the Dockers. A couple of other scores, 90 plus, a handful under 80. But again, a year of positional volatility still sees him with the ninth best average by forwards with a 91.3. Here's the thing, Ritz, and you've talked about this already. He only attended uh, over 50% of center bounces in eight of his 16 games last year, and he never attended more than 59%. And the thing is, there's no correlation either between, oh, when he was at 55 or over, he had some great scores. He had three games last year where he had under 40 CBAs and still scored tons across the formats. So this should only build confidence for us that if he's 65, 70, 75% center bounce attendance midfielder, like he was back in 2019, We've got a guy that potentially could match it with Dunkley in the forward lines for AFL Fantasy and Dream Team and be safe as houses as a 100-plus forward average in Supercoach. Well, he's going to be safe as houses anyway because there's no world that he goes less than what he did last year. No No. world. Like, you think about how what that mix at GWS was last year. You think about how they had so many mouths to feed there last year. It was just ridiculous. So someone like Tim Taranto coming into a t- um, system like Richmond, mm. like, and this is where it's going to get really, really funny, MJ, and we've spoken about this before, but his CBAs might only stay at 50%. But I can tell you now, because you might want guys like Dusty or Shea or something attending that and going forward. Mm. You know, it might come down to actual game plan. But Tim Taranto is then going to move into the midfield and play predominantly midfield. 100%. There's just no world where he doesn't play that role. So, but what I'm sort of really, really, really intrigued about now is. The forward lines across the board for these, I can yeah. see three obvious. Yeah, there's a guy we haven't spoken about this year, but no, no doubt we will at some unless, stage. Un- unless I've had a bad year. Yep, that's fair. And two of the other guys, um, I believe I've had 
Taranto and Cogs. Correct. Then you've got Rosie coming through, which Butters. is the fourth guy. You've got Butters potentially coming through. Mm. Yep. But I just see a gap between the top four to the fifth guy, if that makes sense. Yeah, it does. And I tell you what, you're going to have to go, well, I want to start at least three out of those four. Mm. Otherwise, it's going to make it impossible to try and bring him in. You, you're just not going to get that cash generation and bring him in. Um, if you're not careful, like, I mean, at least a couple of months ago, we would have had a couple of mid prices emerging. I think sure. there's a few emerging at the moment, you know, like yeah. the Tobes McLean. Yeah. Um, we got the Wayne Miller. Yeah. Um, Cunnington I, and Fife, depending on the format you play. Potentially. Yep. yep. But, I mean, there's not really anyone like, because if you start in three of the big guys, then you're going to have to go from a rookie up, really, a rookie price guy. Absolutely. So, for those guys, for those teams out there that are only going two, you know, one, whatever, it's going to be awkward how to actually complete your team this year. Yes, we've got a heap of trades, so we're going to have no worries about generating cash as we go. Sure. But it's still going to be tricky the timing of when to bring them in and when not to. Yeah, so the forward line fascinates me this year, the, the way people are handling it with – a very common structure is three premium midfielders. Um, and, and that might be loosely including guys like Moore, Golden, you know, these guys that are just under the radar of that, where they're expecting the breakout. But three guys that people think are, are top six forwards, how much space they create for themselves for potential DPP gains, because arguably last year we gained the top six as additions during the season. I'm alluding to Bont, Parker, Liberatore for Supercoach, Bailey Smith, even Rowan Marshall late in the year picked up forward status. So we've we've got to create a margin of space. While we don't know for certain, even the year prior that, Josh Kelly was a forward pickup. So history would tell us we're going to get at least one, maybe more, Guys in this forward division we will want to trade into that we do not yet know that are available to us. So how people space that out is fascinating to me. You bring up some really nice points about the structure, but I'm keen on this. There's this idea that Richmond's surge mentality is not friendly to fantasy football scoring. You're the Tiger fan. You're also a great reader and understander and interpreter of fantasy football across the formats. Is that narrative true? And what does it mean for us with Taranto? Because he's moving into a side that historically hasn't had a lot of fantasy premiums for us. Yeah, but like, I mean, this is where it intrigues me. Like, prior to this year, Richmond just didn't have the cattle yet to play a different game plan. They Mm. had to play that, you know, gung-ho approach, like attack everything, you know, push it forward at all costs, mm. um, enter ugly at times. They, that's where they won three premierships. Like, yeah. um, So why change that? But now what they've gone is they've come out and they've headhunted two contested midfield bulls. Yes. Okay. So that screams to me, and I mean, we, who knows how this works, but that screams to me like a game plan adjustment all day, every day, does it not? It does. Yeah, so, it 100% does. So worst case scenario, they're still going to do it anyway. Cochin, Prestia, a few other guys that have always played that role. I think it's it's overstated at times. 
Mm. Um, I think if Prestia hadn't have had those injuries over the last couple of years at certain key times, we would have actually seen him being a hundred ten, hundred ten mid. I agree. You know, and I think Koch and Akai had actually had to go and play roles for the team where he had to go man up on people, be accountable around contests because there was no one in that Correct. space. Yeah, to allow Dusty, Bolt, and these guys to come in and do what they can only do for their team. I agree with that. And let's not forget, though, MJ, we saw pretty much arguably the greatest individual season in 2017 where a guy did go over 110 and they did win the premiership. But it was 100%. the same. Like, and he won a Brownlow playing predominantly midfield. Yep, 100%. I, I think I, I watched this conversation like I'm um, – this narrative of people going, oh, I'm worried about um, Taranto at Richmond or I'm worried about Canelio at GWS and these are teams that are quote-unquote surge teams, but they're happy to go Tom Mitchell because they believe he's 115 and he's playing in a midfield that has a very similar mindset to that. And, and so it, it always intrigues me where we use confirmation bias to colour things the way we want them to be. If you want to pick Tom Mitchell, Pick Tom Mitchell, but then don't say, oh, I've got concerns about Taranto being a center bounce midfielder and that being fantasy friendly. Because if anything, Collingwood's been the closest to what Richmond historically have been before this point. So so I just, I don't like it when people pick and choose these arguments of roles and narratives and systems and structures and don't apply it across the board. So if you're bullish on Tom Mitchell going back to 110, 115, if you're bullish on Cornelio going 110, 115, why aren't you the same with Taranto who's in a quote-unquote the OG of the surge mentality and has the same sort of role. It doesn't make yeah. sense to me. And the other thing about that, okay, is like Richmond, like whilst they played some good footy last year, they weren't close. No. Rightio. So what's happened is they've come in and gone, Rightio, we've got a couple of aging stars here. You know, we're going to lose quite a bit of, you know, club champions really yeah. over the course of the journey. Um, potentially even the greatest player ever to pull on the like the jumper. You're talking about uh, Noah Bolter, right? Yeah, that's exactly right. Yeah, yeah, yeah good. Like uh, the problem that you got with that though is they've gone. We're going to give these guys one last hurrah and mm. winning another title. So they're not mucking around. They've no. gone out and headhunted two of the key players in the trade period from last year. And even like, I mean, last year, I know that people say Tom Mitchell was headhunter 100%, yeah? Of course. Not a problem. But he no was problem. still not the number one target. And it was an afterthought afterwards when it went through the trade period. Yeah. Like it was done later than earlier. He wasn't called out as the highest priority. These two guys were almost the first two guys done in the Correct. trade period. Yeah. Yeah, they really were. No, so the reason why they were, and Richmond paid a fortune, MJ. They paid a lot of picks. Oh, for they're this. out of the draft last year and largely out of the draft again this year. They spent a lot of salary cap. Um, and while they'll help them in two years' time, while the likes of, of Cochin is out the door, Rewalt is out the door, while these legacy Hall of Fame guys for the club are out the door, they're absolutely chips in. So I, I don't see anything other than what should be a clear and strong narrative. I think with Taranto, um, he's priced at a point where 
We've seen he can go 115 in Dream Team and Fantasy. So you've got upwards of 20 points per game of value based on proven performance at what he is. And he will not be any less than what he is. Remember that positional volatility. Remember the weird roles and structures and what happened at GWS. So at worst, you're paying for what he is, which unless we get a bevy of midfielders come into the forward line and pop back, and 95 is still going to be a top 5 to 10 forward, so for me, it's easy. Super coaches, it, maybe you could build a narrative that he's not as essential there because, oh, he's a bit clumsy at times by foot. Oh, at times he does turn it over, taking the game on. And he's not the cleanest user, but I think that gets balanced out with just how good he is in and around the contest at providing pressure, at winning it in tight, creating clearance moments, setting up teammates with goal assists. Um, there's 10 points of value comfortably. So for me... Across the formats, I look at a guy and I go, worst case scenario, like disaster, is I pay for what I get. And that's yeah. still enough. That's worst case scenario. Best case scenario, he's one of only two. There are three forwards that I think that could be top of the line. And Taranto is one of them that I go, this is the guy who's the number one forward in the year. There's three names, I think. Taranto, Cogs, Dunkley. I don't trust anybody else. And so to not say yes to that in your starting squad, I do find hard to walk away from. Yeah, but I understand that some people won't, okay? So, and that's fine too. And this is this is how I see the year. I see there's four forwards with the potential that no matter what happens, who's added, whatever else, that there's still going to be four forwards that you want at the end of the year. Sure. And they're the four that we mentioned earlier with Rosie included with the three big ones. Okay. Sure. It doesn't matter who gets at it, whether a Bontempelli, whether a Dangerfield, whether a Bailey Smith, it doesn't matter who gets at it. No. I would still be very, very confident that these four are going to match whoever gets added in this world. I think so. so. This, and we're talking about starting. Yeah. Now there's a world also that you can actually upgrade to this guy. Yeah. But I'm just a little bit fearful with the cash generation and everything else. And this is why I think Taranto out of all of the forwards in the mix is probably the most intriguing conversation. Mm. Because I can see a world where he just comes out and he goes 100. I can see a world where he flies out at 120. I do too. Well, let's talk about that first six weeks. Carlton, Adelaide, Collingwood. Bulldogs, Sydney, and Melbourne. That's a yeah, decent start. It is a decent start, but think about it a little bit more from a footy perspective. Now, this guy's been hamstrung a little bit by Leon up in GWS. He's mm. now coming down to Richmond, new lease of life. He's with the big club, right? Mm. And you think about some of those matchups, mate. Carlton in round one, Collingwood, you've mentioned Melbourne. They're 80,000-plus crowds. Big games. Why wouldn't someone as talented as Taranto want to, you know, go out and prove a point here? Well, he's come out and said as much. The reason he picked Richmond, not just for the success, is I want to play on the big stage against the big teams for a big team. And so he wants the opportunity to prove himself. Now, he's he did well in the 2019 grand final that the Giants lost. He was probably the only Giant that really stood up that day, uh, much like Chad Warner did for Sydney in the most recent grand final. So for me, I, I most simply understand why someone, I can see why someone doesn't want him 
piece of him. But I, I want to get your take on this. Ownership is always interesting. 49% of super coaches, 57% of dream teamers, and 49% of AFL fantasy coaches own him. What's the percentage rate for you, Rids, that if you're a non-owner and you hear that percentage, where does the risk point come? Has it already come if you're going against him or does it need to get a little bit higher? Because if you're right, sure. Okay. I don't know what you're right about. He does what he does, but where does the damage come? What's the percentage range in your eyes? I think I, anything close to 50% is I just go, you know what? I'm just going to start him. Well, which is where he's at now then across the formats. So I think he's at that point right now. And I can see why he's at that point because it's just much easier to get the guys in for the longer period of for the season proper and just not have to worry about the headache of how to get the money to bring him in later. Yep. No, that makes sense. So the last I would be worried sick if I was <laughs> playing, you know, a very critical game or round or whatever else and I didn't have Tim Taranto when he's playing that early draw. And with that level of ownership against you. Yes. Now, and I I think this is where 20, um, 2023 might be another change of philosophy. Mm-hmm. The VC and the C options, I can't see why. Like, usually we go with the mid, yeah? Yes, usually, yes. So, like, I can't see why we wouldn't be able to VC a Taranto or a Dunkley or whoever else in the forward line in this instance. Like, because there is a world, they play early games. Mm-hmm. Like, um, then you can go back to our midfield for the round, whether it's a lead or whoever else it is that we spoke about the other day. Yeah. So, I mean, this is also another world, but I think this is going to be a change into the guard. We're not going to see the mids be. VCC, we're going to see potential here that the actual forwards potentially could come into that VCC mix. Yeah, I totally agree with that. If you want to look at what Richmond's first six weeks of the year are, there's only one game after Sunday, and and that is round six uh, when they're playing the Anzac Day Eve game on the Monday night against the Demons. Everything before that is the 4.35 game on a Saturday, the Friday night, or the Thursday night game. So, so he's perfect for exactly what Rids has talked about. VC, get the matchup, and then go for your quote-unquote safe option of steel, lead, whoever else it is that you like rolling through there. Um He's a fascinating guy to look at, but where he goes on draft day is really interesting to me. Again, we allude. No, uh, it's not. MJ, no, it's come on, not let, interesting. Let me hype it up. Okay, hype it up. Build the suspense. Yes, you, you do what you need to Thank try you. and get people interested. Thank but you. This is not interesting me at all. Okay, all right. The consensus across the fantasy community is there are only two options at pick one. There's the North, there's Laird because he's the number one mid average, and there's Dunkley because he should compete with the number one mid average and he's got the benefit of forward status. A few, about a week ago, you made the comment on Stephen Canelio that you could build a case that across the formats, Three forwards should go off draft boards at pick one, two, and three. Taranto was one of those three, and Cornelio and Dunkley was the other. My question is this. On draft day, where are you happy taking Tim Taranto? I am taking Taranto at pick two. 
in yeah, no all formats. Later. Yeah, no later. Wow, so he's ahead of Cogs for you. Yeah, yeah. of course. Yeah. So the thing is, like, Taranto's got a little bit more assurance, I suppose. In terms of role, or yeah. in yep, sure. Because I mean, this like let's we've we've all been on that journey with Cogs the last few years. Yeah, whilst we're a hundred percent sold, his role is what it's going to be. Sure. The problem is, though, we just we've been bitten a, quite a few times, and it's a new coach and a new structure. It's a new regime. We need to see it. I get that. Yeah, but that's all gibberish. So. The thing is, Toronto has got a new coach, a new structure, a new everything, That's a new true club. Too. But we just haven't been bitten by that GWS spider before. Sure. Right. Yeah. So he's going number two because you know what? In my world, Dunkley's number one all day, every day. I agree with that. Easy as. But if Dunkley's number one, then that's potentially going to kick off that forward rush from the first pick, which mm-hmm. means – if you're going Dunkley, the only guy in the forward line, in my eyes, that can push Dunkley out of that number one forward position, barring injury or something unforeseen, is Tim Taranto. Yep. And I just think it's the world's easiest lock. I so if you disagree. get any pick after pick, let's just – okay, I'll, I'll try and be nice about this. Here we go. If, if you get a pick that's not one, two, or three – just cross Dunkley, Taranto off your list because you're not getting either of them. An interesting thing, our friends over at the Draft Doctors have brought back their mock draft simulator. And at the moment in AFL fantasy drafting, the ADP, the average draft position for Tim Taranto is eight. Gibberish. So... <laughs> Seriously, that's not. That's just people playing around. And doing of course it. it is, and that's all it is. But it's interesting to note that he's oh, it is, it's sliding a bit into the back of the first round. Because if you had a late round pick in the first round, you are probably not thinking those three forwards I'm not going to get. And now you're probably thinking I'm looking at pairing a Miller, an Oliver, a Steele, a Brayshaw with a Rosie or a Butters on the turn. Is how you're thinking it. But man, if if you do get these guys outside of the top five picks. Yeah. I don't know if in Supercoach you'll go that early. I can see people not wanting to turn down the 120 mids in Supercoach early on draft day. Now, I'm not saying it's right or wrong, but I can see in Supercoach people going, "Um, there's no way I can pick a 100, 100, 105, even 110 forward for passing up a 125 miller. I can see that, but the thing is, he's Supercoach, okay, is a contested ball game. It is. What's Tim Taranto coming into that Richmond setup as? 100%. Yeah. Have we ever seen a super coach year from Tim Taranto where he's had to be a contested ball beast in the midfield? Not there's not to the level where his role will allow him to this year, no. So I would be banking that that's what we're going to see, is we're going to see a breakout, well, not breakout, a standout year mm. in super coach from Timmy Taranto. Yeah, I think so. Uh, I think he's one of the easiest selections in our starting squad. Um, He gives us everything we're looking for, um, and and I find it really hard to overlook him across the format. So he's he's starting everywhere for me, and I understand why his ownership is so high across the format. So, Rids, as always, mate, you always help us look and think and process the game in a different way. So thanks for talking about one of your new boys, Timmy Taranto. 
We've been doing this for a while, MJ. These are the easiest conversations in the world when we get down to this low. A hundred percent. It's the, you're picking them, right? Yep. Okay. Well, you're starting them or you're not? No. There's nothing in this coming six players or five players that you should be going, huh, didn't see that coming in the 50 most. Well, that's what the 40s are for. That's what the 30s are for. We're talking about at this point in time, the guys that if you don't have them, we're processing those decisions. Um, and if you don't have them at the start, my word, you're absolutely having them at some point early in the season as an upgrade. So no, thank you, mate, for your work. If you want to go and read the article on Tim, it's online for you now at coachespanel.tv, as well as all the other players we've revealed so far in the 50 most relevant. The articles are online at coachespanel.tv and the podcast, wherever you're streaming or have downloaded this from, you can go back and check out all the other 44 episodes, I think it is now, that we have done. So you can go and check that now at coachespanel.tv and wherever you're getting these podcasts. If you're loving what you've got from us in the preseason, you can join our Patreon supporter group. For a few dollars a month, we'll kick you some extra bonus content, articles, hidden group access, uh, a bunch of other things. It does help us do everything we do here at the coaches panel we'd love you to become a part of that patreon supporter group the links coachespanel.tv so five players left to go in the 50 most relevant and honestly the names should not surprise you the order might but the aims will not when i was putting together my list of this 50 most relevant there was one guy in one line that hasn't moved at the top of the rankings of where I would put from this division. I think across the formats, he's one of the safest, if not the safest, to be top three, if not top one in his specific line. He's a proven premium year upon year, but some things have changed in the universe over the past few days. Does that mean he's even more of a lock in our starting squad? Or is he someone that we now have to watch before we jump on him, because we will want him in our side. Make no mistake about it. But is he an absolute walk-up lock, or is he an absolute watch and see? Who are we talking about? He's number five in the 50 most relevant, and I'll tell you about him tomorrow. <laughs>